Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this episode number 396 of the Material Podcast. Alas and alack, Florence Ion is out sick this week, and you're stuck with just with me, Andy Anatko. Yeah, goodness gracious me. She's a victim of a bug that's been going around. The bug is specifically her daughter, who goes around like a little biohazard-ingesting Roomba, collecting all kinds of exciting and ambitious vectors of contagion, and then spreading that special kind of sunshine all over the Ion household. This time, both Flo and Mr. Flo have been taken down simultaneously. And under these circumstances, I'm sure you'll agree, bed rest is the better part of valor. I remain relatively healthy, dear listeners, likely because I remain completely childless. Earlier this week, I was afflicted with a crushing ennui and a deterioration of my elan. But then, during my afternoon constitutional earlier this week, I saw a labradoodle the size, I swear to God, the size of a riding mower. And he was really affectionate, and I was soon completely cured. Nonetheless, I am a firm believer in an ounce of prevention, so I've been necking two-ounce shots of Nyquil PM at the top of every hour. And how has that worked out? Well, listen to today's show, and then you tell me. How about that? Well, it has been an alarming week for Google. 12,000 Googlers lost their jobs last week. Also, uh, the United States Department of Justice, well, they've done about as good a job keeping their next big antitrust suit against Google a secret as Google did keeping the Pixel Watch under wraps. And, well, they finally filed their action. So, all in all, it appears that Sundar Pichai and the usual suspects at Alphabet are going to have a lot of explaining to do to investors in the company's quarterly earnings call coming up just on February 2nd. Coming up here, though, strap in because we'll be talking about all of that right after this message. This episode of Material is brought to you by Issue. If you post content on your website, share it to Instagram and send it to your clients, but then find posting your content to your channels includes reformatting, resizing, redownloading, and re-uploading, you need Issue. Because then you can create once, share everywhere. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content. From marketing materials and magazines to catalogs and portfolios and so much more. There's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your digital content in an easy-to-view way on every device. Make it once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is automatically optimized for engagement and ready to share, which saves you so much time. Issue also works seamlessly with the tools you already use and love, like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. Issue is easy to sign up for. You can use your Google account and then get started with the free tier to learn how things work. From there, Issue guides you. Whether you're creating simple graphics or social media campaigns or built-out brochures with newspaper-style layouts, you can even hook up Google Drive and, like we mentioned, Dropbox, as well as other cloud services for easy access to your assets. Issue will even help guide you on how to embed your finalized project onto your website. Content on Issue can be published as public or private. Private only allows users with the shared link to view it. And public content will be available for your audience and it'll be available for others to discover on the issue platform. This is cool. The platform also provides statistics on how your content is being consumed so you can learn more about your audience, data on impressions, clicks on the content, duration spent reading, pages viewed, and more. Issue helps creators marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out. Get started with Issue today for free or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code material. That's I-S-S-U-U 
com slash podcast and use promo code material at checkout for your free starter account or 50% off an annual premium account. One more time, issue.com slash podcast promo code material. Our thanks to issue for their support of material and all of Relay FM. Well, yeah, very, very sad news last week. Uh, we've been talking about for a long time, the mounting unease amongst Googlers over the past year. They had seen many signs which they had interpreted as warnings that mass layoffs were definitely coming. Uh, Sundar Pichai had stated in a quarterly earnings call earlier in the year that Alphabet wasn't planning on cutting its workforce and would only be slowing down hiring for the immediate future. However, it wasn't long before he was also talking about increasing employee efficiency and productivity and recrafting Google and Alphabet for a leaner focus on fewer priorities. And then there was that brand new employee evaluation system that they put into place last year, which according to employees appeared to be engineered specifically to identify the first people to go if there were layoffs to come. Well, and the layoffs came. Uh, Last Friday, 12,000 Google and Alphabet employees lost their jobs. Google made that public announcement at 2.30 a.m. Pacific time while Uh, most of the people affected were probably asleep. That's roughly 6% of Alphabet's worldwide workforce, to put that in context. And it does seem to be a company-wide reduction. The cuts were spread all across pay grades, levels of seniority, divisions inside the company, and Google campuses worldwide. Uh, It definitely appears that everybody's been affected. There have been spotty uh, reports from basically everybody who worked at different divisions. Area 120 uh, has been uh, really, really cut pretty badly. Uh, The Fuchsia team apparently uh, lost about 10 to 15% 15 of its developers. Uh, Even Google Cloud, which really is kind of like Google's darling division, keeps losing money, but Google keeps on mentioning how important Google cloud services are going to be to the future of the company, probably second only to AI, actually probably hand in hand, walking hand in hand with AI. Uh, But it's even that uh, division saw staffing cuts. Uh, Sundar Pichai issued a company-wide email explaining his justification for these cuts. This email was also posted uh, on the uh, official Google blog Uh, Under the title, A Difficult Decision to Set Us Up for the Future. Hmm. He acknowledges the human toll right in the second paragraph. I'm quoting here. This will mean saying goodbye to some incredibly talented people we worked hard to hire and have loved working with. I'm deeply sorry for that. The fact that these changes will impact the lives of Googlers weighs heavily on me, and I take full responsibility for the decisions that led us here. Okay. Good, good that uh, Google is far from the first company in uh, Silicon Valley to have uh, really, really uh, devastating uh, layoffs this year. And not all of those letters from the CEOs take any responsibility, uh, recognizing that the ship is steered by a captain. If it, went, if it goes into an iceberg, it wasn't market forces that led it there. It was a series of bad decisions. Uh, But let's continue. Uh, Sundar says that, quote, we hired for a different economic reality than the one we face today, unquote. 
before uh, he goes on to offer optimism and enthusiasm for, quote, the huge opportunity in front of us, thanks to the strengths of our mission, the value of our products and services, and our early investments in AI, unquote. Okay, so he's he's not uh, laying it all at the feet of the uh, of the macro international macroeconomic uh, tailwinds that uh, that they're all facing, uh, but it was something that everybody was facing. Uh, only Apple really uh, kind of avoided all this problem. They're the only ones that didn't respond to COVID by doing massive, 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 massive hiring. Uh, they have they're as a result the only company that hasn't done any real layoffs so far, but. Okay, let's continue with uh, the breakdown of this blog post slash email. Uh, so Sundar then uh, goes on to explain how Alphabet intends to support those people who are losing their jobs. So uh, if you've been laid off at Google, you'll be receiving full salary, including the minimum, uh, excuse me, full salary during the minimum 60-day notification period. You will be receiving severance packages starting at 16 weeks of salary plus two weeks for every additional year at Google. Uh, they're going to receive their full 2022 bonuses and all unused paid vacation time. In the United States, you will get six months of health care, job placement services, and immigration support to those affected. And incidentally, foreign-born Googlers working in the United States who were spared the axe are still going to be thrown into chaos by these layoffs. And let me tell you how. Uh, so if they enter the U.S. on a temporary H-1B visa, which is likely, and they intend to remain in the country after that visa expires, they need Google to file an application with the Department of Labor announcing that intention. It's the first step towards obtaining an employee, uh, excuse me, an employer-sponsored green card. Well, Google employed all of those employees via email that the company had paused the filing of those applications to the Department of Labor, which now throws their entire futures completely in limbo. Now, it's not because Google necessarily is being cruel here. It's actually because of Department of Labor regulations. The H-1B program has a set of rules in place that are designed to prevent foreign nationals from doing a job that could have been filled by a United States citizen. So if a company has recently conducted large-scale layoffs, say, it can't take steps to extend the stay of a foreign worker until it's offered the job to qualified former employees fired within the past six months. So if they have uh, 10 people that uh, need Google to uh, file the paperwork with the Department of Labor so, to, so they can stay in the country and keep their job, they can't do that until they reach out to 10 former employees, actually pretty much all former employees that had been uh, recently laid off, making sure that, excuse me, being able to document that uh, there are not 10 people within that group that are at least, I think the, the phrase is, quote, minimally qualified, unquote, to take on that job. Because I guess the, there have been audits for that uh, from the Department of Labor recently because it's very, very easy for them to just, for a company just to hand wave and say, oh, no, of course, of course, there's no one who can, there's, 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 there's no one who can, uh, <laughs> Who can? There's no one who can do an Excel spreadsheet uh, like our friend over here. So we're going to have to. It's important that uh, they stay here in this country. Uh, yeah. So they're they're a bit more careful about that. Um, but nonetheless, that is going to be a huge disruption for all those foreign workers, all those foreign Googlers who might have been working for Google in the U in the United States for like five years. They they probably made relationships. They've put down roots. 
And up until Friday, they had every reason to believe that getting permanent residency status in the United States was just a matter of time and paperwork. And now they are yet another group of, uh, uh, of visa holding uh, foreigners who are like, you know what? I've, I've every, re- uh, I'm a good contributor to this society. I have a job. I have friends. I have people who vouch for me. I'm active in my community. I can, I'm trustworthy. I've been, I haven't broken the law. I don't, I don't speed. Uh, I don't, I don't even drive slow in the passing lane, but that is absolutely no reason for me to believe that a year from now, I'm not going to be thrown out of this country. So it's, this, this is cutting deep and it's cutting broadly. Uh, Sundar finished that email with five column, five paragraphs that were intended to reassure and motivate those who remain. Once again, waving his pom-poms for artificial intelligence. That is trying to get people excited about, hey, look, it's not, we're not doing layoffs because our, our, the, the company's spiraling uh, into, the, into, the country, uh, into, the, uh, into the countryside. Uh, we are doing layoffs because we have to. Okay, fine. Uh, but they really, they really did handle these mass terminations very, very poorly. Friday and Saturday, social media of all kinds were full of these unlucky 12,000, really explaining exactly how surreal, off-putting, and sometimes it felt kind of cruel, and how this thing was, how they were laid off. Uh, The mass layoff was executed so swiftly that many Googlers who hadn't checked their email before leaving that house, their house the morning, they learned that they had been laid off only when they arrived at work and their key cards no longer worked. Uh, some even reported that they didn't receive the email notifying them of their termination because their access to company email had already been cut off and they were locked out of their email accounts, all Google services, everything. Uh, they were ghosted as of 3 a.m. Pacific time. On uh, social media, I think on uh, his LinkedIn account, Jeremy Jodlin, a a former Googler, said that getting laid off via email after 20 years, he spent 20 years at the company, felt like, quote, a slap in the face after 20 years at the company, unquote. Like everyone else who lost their job, he wasn't even given the chance to say goodbye to his coworkers face to face. Uh, the people who were left behind were were in a, a pretty uh, confused and baffled state because they, if they didn't see somebody at the office, is it because that they were laid off and um, they're never going to see them again? Or is it just because they had a dental appointment that morning? They have no idea who was staying, who was going. Uh, managers had no idea that they were losing the staff until 3 a.m. rolled around when their staff were calling them and say, Hey, what's, what's the, what's going on? Why can't I get access to my email? They couldn't give them any answers. It was like a natural disaster had swept in. Of course it wasn't a natural, natural disaster. Was it? It was human made. Uh, Kate Howells, who had been with Google for 10 years, received her layoff notice while she was in a hospital bed, holding the baby she'd given birth to just 10 hours earlier. She said on her LinkedIn that she'd almost immediately contacted HR to ask about the status of her maternity leave benefits when she found out she'd been laid off, and she still had not heard anything two days later. And again, uh, they managers had no idea this was happening. There was also 
also adding to the confusion and the sense of, let's just say, vulnerability uh, was there was no – there seemed to be no rhyme or reason as to why certain people had been sent packing while others were spared. You would think that if the problem was that – had been that they had hired way too many people over the past couple of years, that, okay, so I guess they're going to be firing – they're going to be laying off these people who uh, – uh, these people who they recently hired. No, some of these – some of these people were rather junior. Some of these, as you see, had uh, 20 years of the company. Some people were making seven-figure salaries. It was every uh, – you, you have to you, – you had to at on Friday, perhaps even today, if you were still working at Google, wondering if you were just <laughs> – the people with the really big targets on their on their uh, on their chests were the first to go. Next next to go are going to be the people with these slightly smaller targets on their chest, and you don't know if you're got a target on you or not. That is a hell of a way to try to continue to be productive and to help launch Google into its next generation, thanks to its wonderful investments in artificial intelligence. I mean, they they didn't treat their employees nearly as well as they treated people who had signed up for Stadia. Remember that uh, if you had a Stadia account, you got uh, an announcement months in advance that the that the service was shutting down. They gave you a full refund of every penny that you had paid into it outside of your monthly fees. Uh, you got they even gave you a a uh, a final firmware update for your control, Stadia controller so that you could use it outside of Stadia. You felt as though you had been taken care of that Google had thought ahead of time as gee, how can we how can we how can we conclude this relationship in a positive way that makes them feel like well, you know what, case sarah sarah at least my humanity has been acknowledged. Ugh, doesn't feel like it's easy to be laid off at Google and feel as though, no, we were not treated as human beings. We are just numbers and very, very easily disposable. Well, Sundar Pichai's email concluded with the announcement that there would be a town hall meeting on Monday at Google to, to address employees' questions. Well, most news reports politely described the back and forth during this session as, you could call it, animated CNBC listened to an audio recording of the event and was able to describe it in pretty good detail. So uh, Sundar Pichai took the stage and started off by explaining exactly what had happened. It uh, underscored the line of the email in the blog post about accepting personal responsibility. Okay, nice. Uh, so uh, he said that in 2021, Google had had what he described as, quote, one of the strongest years we've ever had in the history of the company, unquote, marked by a 41% growth in revenue. Pichai said that Google did a huge amount of hiring based on this, assuming that the company would continue to flourish. Okay, but this this seems super weird to me because surely he and the rest of Google and Alphabet's C-suite knew that this is the year after an unprecedented global pandemic and societal shutdown, maybe these results aren't typical. Maybe the fact that I won the lottery this week doesn't mean that I can quit my job and just buy a lottery ticket every Tuesday because I'm going to win $5,000. Maybe that was an outlier. Maybe I should just take the $5,000, put it in the bank, spend a little bit of it, and consider myself lucky. Uh, I guess this was not Google's Google's reaction to it. Uh, well, anyway, uh, Sundar said that the hiring blitz had been necessary in, in his estimation because, well, 
yes, they were wrong about uh, the future of uh, of the company that these that the growth and revenue would continue to to leap that way. Yes, he was wrong about that. But if he hadn't been wrong, well, then the company would have fallen behind in many areas, wouldn't they have? Yeah. See, and again, I'm I'm kind of wondering about this. Um. I'm you. You know me by one well by now. You know that I'm I'm not a business person. I'm not even a business journalist. I in situations like this, I have to rely on what I can read and people who are actual business journalists and people who are actual executives at a certain high level who can usually retired who can tell me what's going on with the what's what's the what's the tune that everybody has to dance to generation after generation, but. I, you, you got to wonder exactly how much confidence they had that this huge jump in revenue was going, was part of the, only the start of a long, long trend of, of, of rainbows and puppies and unicorns. One has to wonder if the reason why they hired all these people was because they wanted to take it. They knew that this was a crashing wave. This was something that they could ride and surf on for a brief amount of time and was going to crash against the shore at some point. But while that wave is peaking, if they hire tens of thousands of additional employees, that will put Google into a good position to take advantage of that wave, and then they'll just dump all these people at the end. I don't know that this is what they did, but I don't think that if we're going to speculate, I don't. There, it's. I think that you should be very, very cautious about giving the benefit of the doubt to any trillion dollar company because they, they thrive when you give them the benefit of the doubt. So let's, let's just put all these things out there. Uh, so uh, he explained kind of uh, he and others explained kind of what the process was like. Uh, 750 senior leaders had been involved in the what's and the who's and the how's of the layoffs, which had been planned over the previous few weeks. Uh, I think anticipating the question of, gee, how come like managers didn't know that they're going to be losing their employees? They pointed out that, well, they have 30,000 managers at the company and they just could not mobilize all that kind of a, that kind of a, uh, interview. They can't bring 30,000 people in on this decision process uh, in, in such a short time. Cause again, he, he said that it was planned over the previous few weeks. It wasn't something that they decided on during the summer. Uh, they did consult with Larry Page and Sergey Brin, uh, Google's founders. Uh, Google's chief people officer, Fiona Ciccioni, said that they considered in choosing who gets laid off, quote, skill set, time and role where experience or relationships are relevant and matter, productivity indicators like sales quotas and performance history. This is this is why I absolutely hate this idea of um you're going to be, you're going to get a performance review and you're going to get ranked. And ideally this procedure is to make sure that you and management or you and your boss are both on the same page and you're working in the same direction towards the same goals. And if the results aren't as strong as the company would like, identify exactly what's going, what's going on here. Assume that you were hired there for a good reason, that you have assets that are going to be important to the company. And then we'll together, we will figure out exactly where things are, where things could be optimized. What's deathly to the culture of a company is when it feels as though these reviews are there to establish the paper trail so that there it's every all the data is there in a spreadsheet so that when it comes time to choose 12,000 people to go 
there'll be some sort of a metric. There'll be some sort of algorithm. There'll be some sort of magic number or magic uh, background color on your cell of the spreadsheet that if it's the wrong color, you're out. And that's, again, that's, that's not a, that's not how you get the best out of people. Uh, Pichai then said that uh, there would be cuts also in executive compensation, including his own without giving out any details. Okay. Uh, then they open up to the Q and a now the, during these town halls, there's a Q and a system where all employees who are watching can, uh, can f- submit questions or upvote questions that have already been submitted. And that affects which ones are actually answered uh, live during the live during the stream. Uh, employees were upvoting obviously questions about the process, but also why the communication about these layoffs had been so bad. Once again, maybe the economic situation required such a dramatic reduction in force. Maybe the leadership of the company can't choose that. However, they can choose how they do it. They can choose whether people walk away feeling as though they were valued members of the organization and unfortunately the organization can no longer support them or whether they were, uh, again, uh, roll of of, uh, paper towels. That you get used, you, you pick up the spill, then you're crumpled up and you're thrown away. You don't want to send people out thinking that way because maybe you'll need them later on. And also you're going to need that kind of reputation once if you're trying to uh, hire some people and you're trying to convince them to uh, work for a company. They want to work for a company where they feel as though they can focus on the work and focus on doing their best, not focus on, okay, someone just put a big, big red spot on my back. Why, why is that? And should I be concerned about that? Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'll get, I'll get back to this. Um, so again, a lot of the questions were about why the communication about these layoffs had been so bad. Uh, according to CNBC, one commenter wrote, quote, we severed access for 12,000 employees without the chance to perform knowledge transfers or even let them say goodbye to their colleagues. This is what we do to people who get fired. And then came the question, quote, what's the message for those of us who are left, unquote? Well, Google's vice president of security acknowledged that the mass layoffs introduced, quote, an unusual set of risks that we're not that well practiced at managing, unquote, and that there had been, quote, trade-offs, unquote. In the end, they decided that terminating employees' access to Google's data and, and services and systems, and by extension, access to Google user data, and doing that swiftly and decisively was the best of all the bad choices that are available to them. Quote, we had to plan for the possibility that something could go horribly wrong, unquote. Okay, so those are the facts. But why was this necessary? Again, like all the big tech companies, with the exception of Apple, Google did a huge amount of hiring since COVID. But if Google keeps saying that they made Google bigger, anticipating huge opportunities that got zorched by the world uh, macroeconomic situation. Okay. That's well, they look okay. That's a great explanation from their point of view, but Google fired a huge number of employees with a decade or more of experience. Some were even making seven figure salaries. So it seems to make sense to wonder that uh, uh, whether the, the, the economy made these mass layoffs inevitable or not, Maybe Google also saw this as an opportunity to eliminate some of its most expensive personnel. 
as well as people who weren't quote extra unquote due to headcount, but due to Google wanting to refocus the company. These are people that even if uh, Google had continued to have 41% growth year after year after year, fewer people means more money for the company. Would they have done this anyway? And also as someone who spends week after week after week studying Google's moves and uh, uh, analyzing news stories that come out, uh, there's some, there's some familiar beats that keep recycling over and over again. So, uh, any, uh, I, I, I think we have to be on the lookout for, for lack of a better word, outright shenanigans. In the past, we've discussed multiple instances in which Google managed to oust employees whom they deemed to be troublemakers, people such as AI ethicist Dr. Timnit Gebru and Googlers who had organized labor actions. Sometimes uh, you can't really fire these people without having serious repercussions from the, from, uh, from the federal government. Uh, but if you can say that, oh, no, 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 they violated, they've, we, we, we fired them for cause because they violated policy or, oh, no, 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 uh, she resigned and we accepted her resignation. I can't understand why there's such, such confusion about that. Yeah. I mean, I have to wonder if some directors and senior executives at Alphabet and Google saw this need to uh, create a 6% reduction in workforce as legal cover, legal camouflage to get rid of some of the organization's squeaky wheels without exposing the company to lawsuits and prosecutions for violations of federal labor, labor laws. And also, if, if, we, if we want to be less dramatic than that, any image of Google doing some needed belt tightening, so to speak, it's kind of hard to maintain, or at least you, you have to keep that. It's, it's something that you think about within the context of how much money Google has been spending on stock buybacks recently. Google has an authorization to buy back $70 billion in stock uh, very, very recently, over the past, uh, I think over the past six-month period or something like that. Uh, and uh, stock buybacks, it's something that a lot of big companies are doing. And it's great for the company because it increases the valuation of the company. It's also great for investors because they're getting cash. They're, they're, get, they're getting some of their, their, their investments back. But it sucks for the nuts and the bolts of the company because that money is not being invested back into the company. It's not being put into projects or invested in people. So you ask yourself, how much, how much of those 12,000 people cost Google – and how much money would they have had available to keep the either a keep them hired, or even if we accept that they needed to cut six percent of the workforce, how much of that seventy billion could have been spent on creating a longer runway for their exit, a softer landing for them to make this seem less like someone had pulled a fire alarm and everyone was and just basically driving people towards the exits, pushing and shoving their way all the way out. Well, but like we'll, pro we'll probably never know the answer to that. Um, but let, let, let's move on to something uh, mean-spirited but fun. Uh, see, what we understand about society is that it's it's, it's going to have some billionaires in it, okay? Some of them. And some of these billionaires, they're going to build moonships with their money and their influence and their power. And others, they're going to decide to, you know what, I'm going to get up early today and I'm going to try to eradicate malaria by lunchtime. There are billionaires like that, right? There are examples of them, even in technology. 
whereas other billionaires are straight up psychopaths. And to that, I say, step up and take a bow, Christopher Hone, uh, head of a UK investment fund that owns one half of 1% of all Alphabet stock. Uh, he has a personal wealth, a personal wealth of $7.49 billion, according to Forbes. And uh, according to a recent SEC filing, uh, quote, a cold, desiccated void where a human heart should be, unquote. Uh, the filing goes on to elaborate that instead of a soul, Mr. Hone has three dozen ashen-colored moths that screech throughout the day, roiling the air with the sounds of wolves being attacked by bees. I'll, uh, there, there will be a link to the PDF. Again, it's a, it's an SEC, SEC filing. As I keep saying, they can't say this in an SEC filing if it's not true because there are legal actions. So it's a, it's a, it's a known fact that again, he has a cold desiccated void where a human heart should be. That's not me speaking. That's your federal government. Yes. I'm making that up because I think what he's, what he said in reaction to these layoffs where it's kind of reprehensible. So this prize specimen of humanity, uh, he sp sent a letter to Sundar Pichai after the layoffs. He praised the move before quickly scolding Sundar Pichai. You see, Pichai, he fired 12,000 human beings and Hone ins insists that that about that about three times as many needed to go. Yeah. So what not, 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 not didn't fire nearly enough people didn't turf out nearly as, as much humanity as Hone would have liked as a, someone who has a net worth of $7.49 billion. Uh, he's also uh, kind of honked off and offended that Google isn't taking advantage of the desperate economic situations by slashing, slashing salaries and compensation of uh, people who are remaining behind. I'm um, quote. I'm actually, I, I was joking before, but this is an actual quote from that letter quote. Competition for talent in the technology industry has fallen significantly, allowing Alphabet to materially reduce compensation per employee. In particular, Alphabet should limit stock-based compensation given the depressed share price. Yeah, that's that's what he actually said. He said that he can probably get away with, with cutting salaries as well. I can't see any possible – how the hell did this man wind up with seven did, – did he like inherit – Seven point four eight nine 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 billion of that, and he just like found fifty bucks in the street. Is that how he got to that valuation? Because, yeah, it's an industry after industry. You've cut people's salaries. You get you stop getting the best of the of the talent pool. Okay. That's, that's, that's just an absolute given. And if he thinks that, oh, no, 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 I, I think that let, let's make people fight. Let's make people squid game uh, for their salary and let's, <laughs> let's make them start paying for coffee. Let's do that too. Yeah. That's again, I, pro, uh, he seems like, a, I know, I've never met this man. He does, however, seem objectively like a real piece of work. Uh, multiple sources report that Christopher Hahn, a citizen of the United Kingdom, paid himself 1.9 million in dividends last year. And I, I'm sorry, that's $1.9 million per day, not over the year, per day. Six, $690 million he paid himself uh, for his services to his fund uh, over the course of last year. That's roughly 15,000 times the average income of a resident of the United Kingdom. 
I'm now I should mention I'm recording this late on Wednesday, January 25th. Uh, I've been doing as much research as I can, but, uh, at this time, uh, as of like one 15 in the morning, uh, I could not confirm that the church of England has issued an edict requiring any of its churches to be immediately closed and reconsecrated in an emergency fashion upon presentation of evidence that Mr. Hahn has walked past it in the past 666 days. But let's stop the hatred, as fun as it is and as satisfying it is, and let's keep our focus on the human toll. 12,000 alphabet workers are uh, are out of work right now. Um, They join roughly 50,000 other tech workers who have also lost their jobs this year, as all of the major companies worry about how long this economic storm is going to last, or who see this as an opportunity to make more, do, Make do with less, which is a euphemism for what if we have each employee do the work of 2.3 employees instead of the usual 1.7. I'm sorry, I'm cynical, but this is this is my reaction today. Well, we're going to take a break here and we'll come back with news about the Department of Justice's latest beatdown of Google. Uh, stick with us, please. Well, the media scene of the 2020s loves its franchises. Sidebar, congratulations to uh, Black Panther, who uh, the, the movie, Marvel movie, who got some very, very prestigious nominations for the Oscars this year. Thank you, Angela Bassett. Hope this is your year. Uh, but yeah, every, you know, franchises are big. Uh, and so hopping on the bandwagon, the United States Department of Justice expanded the Google antitrust cinematic universe this week with a brand new lawsuit. So Google, you'll remember, is already heading into court in September to defend itself against the antitrust suit that the DOJ slapped them with back in 2020. That one alleges that Google is abusing its market power to kill off competition for Google search. Well, this week's suit, eh, you know, like any good sequel, it's pretty much a rehash of the uh, of the old storyline with the same characters. Um, well, this week's suit, well, it's been anticipated ever since a draft of that suit had leaked out, seeks to break up Google's digital ads business. If the DOJ wins, Google will be forced to divest itself of, at minimum, the Google Ad Manager suite, including both Google's publisher, uh, Google's publisher ad server, DFP, and Google's ad exchange, AdX, and they will be enjoined from doing that sort of thing in the future. This in addition to uh, penalties and legal fees, which could be pretty, uh, pretty significant because eight states have joined the Department of Justice in the suit as plaintiffs. The complaint says, I spent some, <laughs> spent all night like reading it and making notes here. Uh, so I'm going to quote here, uh, according to the complaint, quote, Google has corrupted legitimate competition in the ad tech industry by engaging in a systematic campaign to seize control of the wide swath of high tech tools used by publishers, advertisers, and brokers to facilitate digital advertising. And having inserted itself into all aspects of the digital advertising marketplace, Google has used anti-competitive, exclusionary, and unlawful means to eliminate or severely diminish any threat to its dominance over digital advertising technologies. It also points out that 
uh, I'm quoting here again, Google, a single company with pervasive conflicts of interest now controls one, the technology used by nearly every major website publisher to offer advertising space for sale. Two, the leading tools used by advertisers to buy that advertising space. And three, the largest ad exchange that matches publishers with advertisers each time that ad space is sold. Google's pervasive power over the entire ad tech industry has been questioned by its own digital advertising executives, at least one of whom aptly begged the question, quote, is there a deeper issue with us owning the platform, the exchange, and a huge network? The analogy would be if Goldman or Citibank owned the New York Stock Exchange. I'm going to go off quotations here. Uh, see, editorial, this, ladies and gentlemen, is why employees are encouraged to limit their use of clever, witty turns of phrase to the break room, okay, to to, to the after, to, to the, the, the smoking area outside. Uh, Definitely don't say that kind of stuff in emails that can and will be subpoenaed by government investigations. They will be quoted, and they're, they're going to cause lots of problems. <laughs> quoting the uh, quoting the lawsuit, the suit again, uh, on, quote, on average, Google keeps at least 30 cents and sometimes far more of each advertising dollar flowing from advertisers to website publishers through Google's ad tech tools. Google's own internal documents concede that Google would earn far less in a competitive market. Google has posted a blog post that basically says that, oh, none of this is true. You just don't understand. Oh, my God, the competition. We're suffering. We're suffering. <laughs> danger, danger, danger. Yeah, oh, well. Um, but speaking of danger, this is real danger uh, for, for Google. Uh, unlike their upcoming Supreme Court case, uh, which is probably going to be heard in February, uh, or the Department of Justice and other antitrust suit regarding search, the plaintiffs, the government, they have Google dead to rights here. Google has engaged in a comprehensive suite of abuses over the past 20 years, and those abuses are as well documented as the success of those abuses. Um, they have been buying up any company they see as a threat. They've been colluding with any ad company that they couldn't buy, such as Facebook and Amazon. They've been controlling both sides of the business, both as sellers of ad space and buyers of ads. They've been manipulating the mechanisms for buying and selling uh, through their control of the software, also their influence through uh, Google Chrome uh, of being able to approve standards and how uh, uh, how websites communicate with each other. They have been crushing any attempt to fix the system that they themselves broke uh, to make sure that the money would still flow in a, in a predominant way towards Google. And also in antitrust cases, there's that really there, – there's this one situation that is just green and glowing and pulsating. And, you know, when they – when the government finds evidence that Google has often undermined its own ad business to put smaller competitive at an intolerable disadvantage, yeah, that makes – that makes their jobs a lot, lot easier. Um, and the, the classic antitrust question is, I mean, for decades has been, is this company's actions forcing consumers to pay higher prices? And to be honest, it's kind of an antique way of thinking in the modern economy with technology. But in this case, well, yeah, Google is keeping its fees and its commissions artificially high. Its own documents said that 
the company's uh, 20% revenue share fee would likely drop to 5% if Google had not deployed anti-competitive countermeasures. So yeah, this is this is pretty bad. Uh, that said, you know what? It'll probably amount to nothing. Uh, Google's ad business is still likely to stay intact, I think. Just first and foremost, government's institutional reluctance to break up a company, that's a very, very strong thing. That's that's a strong mojo. The last time the United States government successfully broke up a large monopoly was, I think, arguably when they broke up the phone company 40 years ago. Yes, the classic case is uh, the their uh, action against Microsoft over Internet Explorer 20 years ago. But they won the case, but they lost, excuse me, they, they lost an appeal. Actually, on a technicality, the judge on the appeal uh, said that, yeah, the, the, the government's uh, complaints about what how Microsoft controlled the market were dead on. But the thing is, again, there's a, there is a lack of will to really, really put the hammer down because the Department of Justice ultimately withdrew its demand to break up the company and reached a settlement with Microsoft that allowed them to pretty much stay intact. Really, the sad thing is the time to take action against Google's dominance of the market, pretty much any company that owns a a, a sobering monopoly that no smaller competitor can possibly get even the, the thin end of a wedge in, I include Apple here, uh, that opportunity is long past. Um, unfortunately, it was the Obama administration that really dropped the ball here. They had such a cozy relationship with technology companies. Um, not, and I'm, I'm I'm saying beyond the the policy stature of like let's say the Clinton administration, Clinton administration, which was that we don't know we as people in government don't understand the potential of this technology enough to regulate it before it exists let's 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 treat it with kid gloves let it find its own way and make and let it grow and that's why it's now such a huge driver of the economy that was a good decision the obama administration they had the they really had the last opportunity to rein these companies in and it wasn't just a policy thing i do think that there are the people, there were people of the right age, the right generation to, Hey, it's cool to hang out with these people. Hey, we're hip too. Hey, we use these tools. Hey, we understand how these tools work. And I think that there was just too emotional closeness, too much an emotional closeness to again, put the hammer down to them. And now that opportunity is pretty much gone forever. Um, I mean, the, the government approved all of Google's acquisitions. Okay. Uh, every every everything that they needed to buy in order to get their position in the ad business, they bought it, and now it's almost too late. Uh, the FTC really should have been more aggressive, but that's not to say that this is there's no point to this, and it's, it's nothing but 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 a loss. This kind of pressure keeps companies in line because Google knows they're being watched very very closely. And they will still try to assert its dominance. They'll still try to expand its dominance. But they know that the times when they can simply buy a company and it will sail right through are long gone. It's really hard to pull off that kind of acquisition now. Uh, something they could have done just five years ago is now really, really difficult, if not impossible. Whereas a smaller company can pull it off. Right? Look at uh, Microsoft's having trouble buying a game company because – the lingering effects of uh, the, of of uh, 
being labeled as a as a potential violator of the Sherman Act means that it's really, really hard to pull off these huge acquisitions anymore. And there still is the the threat of the banhammer, the threat of the the big big fist of justice. I really do think that the FTC and the DOJ should really make make some of these 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 companies kind of hurt. Um, I mean, I, I do I do admit that I'm a bit conflicted here. Uh, on the one hand, I mean, hell, I'm, I'm I'm using Google Docs and Google Search to write up all my notes on this story. Okay, I'm I'm reading notes off of Google Docs right now, uh, so I want all of those things to continue to exist and continue to be enhanced and expanded and improved. And also, just as a basic religious principle here. I believe the technology that is only going to help people who can afford expensive software and services, that's this pointless. I mean, there's, uh, it's not fulfilling, fulfilling the aspirational role, the aspirational potential of technology to improve our society, to allow individuals to improve themselves, to find their, to find their goals and to reach those goals. This is something that technology can do if we decide to point the arrow in that direction. It's uh, uh, under that under that philosophy, Google is like in the movies, like that neighborhood gangster who does terrible, terrible things to maintain his his position at the top of the pyramid, but who puts a huge chunk of his profits right back into the neighborhood. And so that's why everybody loves him because it's the, the tra- there's no trash on the streets. If someone's behind on their rent, they'll, 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 the money will be found to like fix someone's bicycle, all this sort of stuff. That's, and I do feel that that's kind of a little bit like that. But on the other hand, if Google can only stay in business by twisting and perverting what ought to be an open and free marketplace into a thoroughly rigged game, they shouldn't be in business. They should be broken up. Okay. I don't, I, uh, I am again. I'm. I'm. I'm the technology journalist. I'm the. I'm the nerd. I'm the person who should be saying, "Oh, government shouldn't be trying to define what technology is and defining and limiting what the scope of what Apple and uh, Apple and Microsoft and Google should do." You know what? I think that in principle, that is a big, big threat. There is that is a big fear of mine. But you know what? Sometimes. Uh, Sometimes you really have to just hold your nose and say, whatever happens, happens. It's more important that uh, huge, huge uh, collators and uh, and grasping acquirers of power that only get more and more powerful uh, to the deficit of people who are just trying to establish themselves and trying to innovate on their own terms – not with the permission of a two trillion dollar company that uh, owns that marketplace that they're trying to exist in. That's that's worse. Okay, that 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 limits our expansion into the heavens. And if 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 things get damaged because uh, government steps in, I think that that might be the lesser of two evils. I mean, th- think about it this way: if BlackBerry, you know, the phone company, if you know, we have to. There was a time where you didn't have to say BlackBerry, the phone company. There, it's, there was a time where you had to say BlackBerry, you know, that little fruit thing uh, that's like a bunch of grenades. Like that, that's how big the, Bla- the BlackBerry, company, BlackBerry company was. But okay, but if, if BlackBerry had survived into 2023 entirely on its ability to innovate its products and to please its customers, 
fair enough. But what if we were all stuck today with those same tiny button keyboards and expensive services and apps that don't really do much and very, very functional devices that don't expand what we can do with our brains uh, and that we're stuck with these stupid devices entirely because BlackBerry was wise enough to see the threat uh, the commercial threat of Apple and the iPhone. And they, so they bought out Apple and killed the iPhone or basically made it so BlackBerry like to, as to make it useful and did other things to rig the smartphone game to its advantage. Well, that that's worse. That's, that's not just having an awful, awful BlackBerry phone in 2023. That's also knowing that you could have had so much better. That's because the, we are, our feet are on the ground instead of flying through the sky because this company thinks it's much, much better for, for itself, for its profits, to keep people on the ground. Innovation, uh, unrestricted, uh, is possibly customers leaving BlackBerry and going to someplace else, leaving Google and going to someplace else. People should leave and go to someplace else. BlackBerry, the death of BlackBerry, and we talk about other people being, uh, being laid off, always sad. You don't like to see companies go under, but if they go under because another company managed to innovate, managed to create something, push the push the needle further, further, further uh, to the to the right, there, that's that's reason to believe that the system is working. If we have a system where people can't innovate, people can, new new companies can't come along come along and show us more daylight where there's mostly shadow. That's a failure of the system, and that's where government should shut it, could, should uh, should should climb in. Well, I'm sorry that uh, you've had to only have me to talk to this week. I promise you, Flo will be back next week, unless your child brings home another hitherto undocumented respiratory ailment that lays low the entire castle in which Florence Ion. Rome's, uh, she will definitely be back next week. Uh, until then, go to flowrights.tech to read all the stuff she's writing uh, on uh, Gizmodo. For, she's covering a whole bunch of stuff on Apple, a whole bunch of stuff on uh, Google and Android. Uh, always worth checking out. You can check me out on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, spell my last name for those accounts, I-H-N-A-T-K-O. Uh, listen to me on Boston Public Radio at uh, wgbhnews.org. I'm actually this Friday. I am uh, at the Boston Public Library, which is wired for YouTube. So you can actually go to the WGBH News channel on YouTube. I think uh, uh, either live, watch it live uh, at uh, twelve thirty in the afternoon. I don't know when this is going to be posted up, but worth checking anyway. And usually they put my segments up a little bit later as just separate separate videos. You can check that out. As always, you can help support our show and everything on the Relay FM network by becoming a member. Head on over to relay.fm slash material to sign up and gain access to special members-only episodes produced by all of Relay's contributors, including us. Well, that's going to be it for us for this week. Thanks so much for listening this time. We hope you'll be listening again next week. Until then, everybody, please have a happy, safe, and healthy seven days. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.